Uh, so first of all, as we begin, I, one of the things I just kind of want to lift up, you know, I've been here now a number of years with you, and I've had a chance to preach a number of times, which is a great privilege. Uh, as a result of that, there's a lot you know about me, because I share a lot about myself and about our family over the course of various sermons. So you know a lot about me, but you don't know everything about me. And I'm going to share something with you this morning that I don't think I have shared with you before. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong in that. Uh, first of all, in that what I'm going to share relates a little bit to something going on in our life right now. My son, Zach, is playing ninth grade basketball, and I love watching him play. That is a lot of fun for a whole lot of reasons. One of the reasons I like to watch Zach play is it actually reminds me of when I played basketball. Uh, loved basketball then. I still love it now. I'm not as good anymore, but I still enjoy playing when I can. Uh, but recently I was watching a game of Zach's and it took me back to a game that I had been playing when I was in high school. And just to kind of set the scene and set the stage for you, it was against our arch rival. And we had lost to them five years in a row. Now any of you that know me very well, I'm just a little bit competitive. And so five years in a row just was driving me crazy. But it was our senior year, and I was absolutely determined we were not going to lose a my senior year to our, our tribal. So the night of the big game came, and as you can imagine, I mean, it was an intense game, back and forth and back and forth. We'd get up three or four, then they would get up three or four. We'd get up three or four, then they'd get up three, all through the game. And finally, it was the last minute of the game. We were up by one. We had the ball. Didn't they steal the ball? take it down for a layup and score to put them up one. So we bring the ball down to our end of the court and it was really one of those kind of movie moments. It was like about 10 seconds left and the ball was passed to me. And I got the ball and I turned and I faced my defender and again, remember, five years of frustration of losing to these people and I was like, it is not gonna happen this year. And so I had the ball and I faked hard the one way and I drove the other. And you know, you can just picture sort of slow motion, like then five, four, three, the clock is ticking down. But because I had faked my defender out, I had a clear path to the, to the hoop. And this is the only time this ever happened in my whole life because I think I was so full of adrenaline. Like I didn't just go up for the layup. I went up and bam, like I, I slammed the ball through the hoop as time was expiring and we won. Like, mass hysteria. Well, thank you. I so appreciate that. Like, I'm telling you, it was mass hysteria. Like, five years of frustration wiped out and gone. Like, I haven't told you that before, right? Is that new? Okay. Well, here's the reason I haven't told you that before. It's not true. <laughs> did, did, it didn't happen. <laughs> um, Basketball, yes. Did we win some close games? Yeah, I mean, all that, but I, and I've never dunked. Like, I just got to tell you, like, I've never, I've never dunked the ball, but like, so great story, right? But no truth behind it. Now, you could go back, I mean, like I said, there were a couple of things that like might almost make it true, but it's not true. Like, if you went back and talked to people in that game, they would verify that didn't happen. Uh, the statistics, any video footage even then, like, no, it would all verify what I just shared with you is not true. I share that with you because truth is a big deal. But truth is something that we either don't talk about or we think it's sort of a simplistic thing and we don't realize how significant it is. You and I live in a world increasingly where we hear things like, you do your own truth. You decide what is true. 
You do your version of truth. And I understand what's being expressed in those sentiments, and I will be the first to say, I want to affirm like the unique ways that we're created and live in that, but the moment we start to say something like, you create your truth, or you do your truth and live into your version of truth, we're distorting what truth really is, because truth is bigger than us. Truth either is or is not. Truth is reality or it is not. It is not something that you and I get to make up on our own. Otherwise, we've elevated ourselves over truth. But that's not how truth really works. Increasingly in our world, though, that's what we have. And so we've got all kinds of truth-related issues going on in our world. It could be anything from identity theft uh, to fake news to you live into your version of truth. I mean, we're finding this all over the place but truth is bigger than us. You might remember that we've been in a sermon series together on the good life, and we're talking about God's beauty and God's goodness, but also God's truth. And part of what we want to do today, last week we spent some time diving into the importance of God's beauty. Today we want to spend some time diving into the importance of God's truth. Because here's what we know. When you find truth, you also find beauty and goodness close by. And when you find God's beauty, you find God's goodness and truth close by. They all go together. And throughout this series, what we've been trying to remind ourselves is this, that to live into God's good life means that we're going to join God in God's beauty, truth, and goodness as we do life with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, it is a life filled with goodness and with beauty and with truth. And the Bible, as you might imagine, has a whole lot to say on what truth is and how we begin to live into it. Now, like I said a few moments ago, truth on the surface sounds rather simplistic, but if you start to dive into it, it is a tricky, sometimes almost elusive thing to try to define and get our minds around. So keeping that in mind, I looked up a couple of different definitions for truth, and here were some that I found. One said, the quality or state of being true. Now, I just, it is a pet peeve of mine when a definition of something is given to define its very self. Like, that is not helpful to me when I looked up the quality or state of being true. That's what truth, that really, well, that doesn't help me at all. So the second one says, that which is in accordance with fact or reality. And then the third one says, a fact or belief that is accepted as true. Again, that third one's not overly helpful either. So the one that was most helpful to me is this idea that that which is in accordance with fact or reality. When it comes to truth, it's also helpful to me what we're trying to get at. We're trying to reveal or unveil that which really is. So, so think for just a moment in a courtroom with a judge or a jury, what is their intent? Their intent is to uncover the truth, reveal the truth, get to that which really is, get to that which is really reality. That's what we're trying to do here as we're understanding this whole idea of truth here this morning as well. And again, it's really, really important that we get a sense of this, and here's why. We have more and more people giving their life to a version of truth that's not truth. And when we do that, we're giving our lives to something which isn't real. We're giving our lives to that which does not have substance. We're giving our lives to that which does not have meaning. And so when we give our lives to a version of truth that's not truth, ultimately that's always going to leave us feeling empty, meaningless, and searching. Because that which we thought was of value, that which we thought was true, that which we thought was worth giving our life for, we're suddenly finding out it's just a mist. It's not really real. It's, it's not true. And so understanding what truth is and living into it is absolutely crucial lest we give our life to a mist 
that vanishes and leaves us searching and more despondent than before. And so when we come and discover in the good life God's truth, what we're discovering is that which is worth living for, that which is worth giving our all for. Now, as I said, as you can imagine, the Bible has a lot to share on truth. Truth is most defined in and through Jesus Christ. And the, the, the place in the Bible that most tells us about Jesus are these things that you've probably heard of a few times called the gospel. The gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. We're going to look at John here this morning. But here's what I love. When you put all of the gospels together, each one gives a different dimension of who Jesus is. But every single one of them shares the good life and the good news about Jesus Christ because gospel literally means good news. So how appropriate is it that when we study the gospels, we're studying good news about the good life of Jesus Christ, which is true. It all goes together. Now, a few moments ago, you heard Pastor Janet share from the Gospel of John. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But to kind of set the scene here for you, four Gospels in the New Testament tell us about Jesus. Each one gives a different dimension of who Jesus is. The Gospel of John is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us the nitty-gritty of Jesus. It's in Matthew and Luke, especially Luke, where you hear details like Jesus was born in a manger, uh, at an inn where there was no room where anyone else was, where the, Matthew tells us wise men came. I mean, you get these nitty-gritty details in those Gospels, but the Gospel of John is different. The Gospel of John comes and gives us this soaring, overarching, gigantic, universal, cosmic picture of who Jesus is. So look what it says with me. Before we share what Pastor Janet did just a few moments ago, first we're going to look in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and it says this. And just listen to the soaring language. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without him, nothing has been made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you hear the grand, soaring, cosmic language? This is the opening language found in the gospel, good news of John. John is giving us a parallel to the opening words of Scripture. If you back up all the way to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, listen to what it says there. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens. He created the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light, and God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Again, this gigantic, soaring language. This is how John begins to introduce the good news of the truth of Jesus in cosmic, soaring language. It's the general context. John is different than the other Gospels. But then look what we find as we narrow into what Pastor Janet shared with us here this morning. John chapter 1, verse 14, and it says this. It says, the word, and we just got to pause right there for a second. Like before we can even go any farther, this word for word in Scripture is a really significant word. In the Greek, it's a word called logos or logos. It 
translated means word, but what it really means is divine principle, like creative order, like life-giving creative force of the world. Like if that's the impetus behind this, it's not just word like you and I, like the word on the screen. This life-giving thing. So what is John doing? He's saying the word, the creative divine order, that which started the universe, this cosmic thing, look what he says it does. 114. The word became flesh. Do you hear that? Cosmic logos word became flesh. Nitty-gritty, bone, sinew, muscle tissue. The cosmic becomes super particular. And then look what it says. Became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So again, super specific. Then you've got this mix of glory and cosmic. It says, we've, got, we've seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Cosmic. And now it gets specific again. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one whom I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Do you hear what's going on? Cosmic big picture, universal, all the way down to particular specific detail. Here's what I believe this is sharing with us about truth. Truth has a cosmic element and a very particular element all at the same time. Cosmic, or truth is gigantic and cosmic in nature, but it's also super specific in nature. And what that means for us when we go through this here this morning is that in Jesus, we experience truth at both of those levels, at a cosmic and at a particular level. And that's part of what gives us, defines truth for us here this morning. Here's why this is important. If all I say is truth at a gigantic level, but there's no particulars behind it, then it's just wishful thinking on my part, like the story that I opened with. I can proclaim a great story, but if there are no particulars to back it up, then you don't have truth. At the same time, if those particulars aren't grounded in a story larger than themselves, then it's a very boring, shallow, small story that it belongs to. It's a very unadventurous story that, to only live for the detail itself. But Jesus gives us both cosmic truth and particular truth all at the same time. It's a little bit like saying, if I were to say to you here this morning, hey everybody, what is two plus two? It equals four. In your mind, you can do that. That's a simple equation. I can say that is a truth, and, and it is, but it's kind of abstract. In order for that truth to be experienced and realized, there has to be an element where we see it, where it gets particular. So it makes more sense to say two apples plus two apples equals four apples. Because now there's something particular to the abstract. And notice also what happens. With truth, when it's, when it's before us, you've got real apples, which in this case are beautiful and crispy and tasty and sweet and good. So the truth is connected to beauty and goodness. 
If I were to come before you this morning, and some of you could do this because you're math wizards, but if I were to say, here's a quadratic formula, I want you to solve that quickly, there may be elements of abstract truth there, but because we don't have any particulars to ground it and to make it specific, we don't experience the truth, and we can't fully know, is that true or not? Part of what Jesus does, again, is he comes to us, and he shares with us the grand glory cosmic that which we might at first think is abstract, but he makes it specific in the particular and in the flesh. That's why he is of truth. That's why he is truth to us. I love this verse here this morning. Look what it says. 114, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Remember, beauty, truth, and goodness all go together. So look what this verse is saying. It says, we've seen his glory. Do you remember from last week, what's the best word in scripture for the beauty of God? It's this word glory. You don't often find something that says the beauty of God. You hear about the glory of God. So just as easily, this could say, we have seen his beauty the beauty of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace. What is grace? It is a good, good gift that God gives to us. God gives us this good gift of grace and truth. So in this one verse, what do you find? Beauty and goodness and truth. And Jesus says, when you know me and when you live into my truth, word who becomes flesh and we embrace that truth, what do we also experience? Ultimate goodness ultimate beauty. It all goes together. For me, when I look at these verses, there's so much that's exciting to me to look into and to dive into here, but I want to kind of just paint a picture for you this morning. Um, and while you're thinking about this, like I could say this over and over, but one of the realities of Scripture is it shares with us and it tells us repeatedly that God is truth. So if you look with me here this morning in John 1.14, we've already heard this. It says, we've seen his glory, the glory of one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.17 says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 8.32 says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 14, 6 says, Jesus answered, probably one of the most famous ones for us, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Over and over and over again, we are told how Jesus is the truth. Now, remember what I said to you just a couple of minutes ago. I said the Gospels, each one of them describe a different dimension of who Jesus is. And I said that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they get into the nitty-gritty. John describes the cosmic. And therefore, when you put all four Gospels together, you get the full surround dimension of Jesus, that you see him at a particular level and a cosmic level. And so what the Gospels do is they show us in that how Jesus is true. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to think about for just a moment. At this point, you might be like, this is all nice and good, and we're talking about truth, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's what I want you to think about for a moment. What do you do in the presence of truth? Like when you encounter utter truth, what is your response? Like for you personally, just think in your mind. If you, if you come into the presence of that which is really true and therefore really beautiful and therefore really, really good, what's your response? Is it really just, that's nice, move on? Is, is that really the best that we can do when you come, like I'm talking face to face, up close and personal with truth? Here's why I ask. I want you to consider this morning what happens 
with Jesus when he comes here this morning. Because here's what we're told. There's a really fancy word in theology called incarnation. And it means God Almighty puts on flesh. God of the universe gets really specific and really detailed, again, with blood and flesh and bones. It's called the incarnation. What the Gospels do is they tell us what it's like to come face-to-face in the incarnation of God, face-to-face with the truth and the beauty of God here this morning. So when you get a chance, we don't have time to do this this morning. Here's what I want you to do. Look up, especially in the Gospel of Luke, what happens when people encounter truth up close and personal. Here's what you're going to find. They don't just randomly say, oh, that's nice, and move on. They don't even write a nice, orderly uh, 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 story about it. You'll see these emotional responses. Like, again, think in your life. When you encounter real truth, like, let's just say a baby, a, a beautiful brand new baby, even if it's not yours, even if it's not in your family, there's something about holding a brand new, innocent, beautiful baby that no matter who you are, I mean, Your heart swells. Tears begin to flow. You're so grateful. Or for you pet people, a brand new puppy, a brand new kitten, and just to get to be with them, and like, what your heart just breaks in the best way possible. Like, what happens? There's an emotional outlet. For the people in Scripture, if you look in the Gospel of Luke, when Elizabeth, hears that her cousin Mary is carrying truth within her. And Mary is standing before her. You know what Elizabeth does? She can't hold it in. She has an emotional outburst. She begins to sing about the beauty and the blessing that her cousin Mary is carrying this truth. And then if you read about Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, when he learns that truth is coming among them, he sings. And he sings a song about how God has not forgotten Israel and God is going to save them. And he sings because his heart just is bursting at the good news of the truth. And and then Simeon in Luke chapter 2, when he comes face to face with the Christ child, he sings. And he sings a song about a new star appearing in the sky. And it's not just darkness and blackness anymore because there's truth in front of him and he doesn't know what else to do but to sing. And Mary is maybe the best example of all that when God says, you, Mary, will carry my truth within you, my son, her soul bursts. And it's called the Magnificat. Her soul glorifies the Lord. What's my point? In the presence of truth, we have emotional responses. We can't help but respond because God is there. We're in the presence of ultimate reality and it moves us to our core. Do you remember what Moses did when he was in the cleft of that rock when the presence of God Almighty, the true God, went by him? He could feel God's presence. Do you know what Peter and James and John did when they were on top of that mountain and Jesus was transfigured before them in all of his goodness and all of his beauty and all of his truth? Peter cried out just, Lord, it's good for us to be here. We can't believe we even get to be here. You know why? Because truth can be felt. And truth is meant to be felt. So when I say to you this morning, what is it like for you to come in the presence of truth? I hope there's something in our hearts that break in the best way possible. Because here, this morning, in this place, in a few minutes when we share communion, guess what we're doing? We are dwelling in the presence of almighty truth. And I pray this morning that we'll feel that. 
I pray this morning that God will speak to our hearts in that. I pray it will cause us to sing or to cry or to laugh because it's so much more than a simple narrative to just share. Truth can be One of you was gracious enough, maybe you've seen over here while I've been talking, we have a picture, a portrait up here of Jesus, and I'm, I'm really grateful for the, uh, the work that was done to create this. I'm guessing that from where you are sitting, I hope it looks like a general picture of Jesus. It should look like a general picture of Jesus. But here's what's interesting. If you were to come up, and you'll get a chance to do this later on, if you come up closer to this picture, here's what you'll discover. The general picture is made up of the specific words that Jesus himself spoke. So the picture is made up of the particular. And I think that is just about right for us as followers of Jesus Christ. When we live into the particulars of who Jesus is, people see generally who Jesus is. When we live into the particulars of who Christ is, Christ as a whole is reflected and shown to the rest of the world. Church, for some of us, we are here today and we proclaim cosmic truth. We say, oh yes, Jesus is Lord. But if we were to come in and look very closely at the particulars of your life, it doesn't look like Jesus is Lord. And when that happens, we short-circuit the truth. We no longer allow the depth and the fullness of the truth to shine through because we proclaim it, but we don't live it in the particular. And there are some of us here this morning, and we're living in the particulars in a really good way. We're doing all kinds of good deeds and moral deeds, but we haven't anchored those deeds anywhere beyond ourselves. We haven't anchored those deeds in the reality of who Jesus is. And when we do that, we're living in a very, very shallow, small story of reality. Because the best story, the story of Christ, is way beyond me and what I can do. So I ask you again, what do you do? What do you experience in the presence of truth? Some of us this morning, we need to get way more cosmic in our truth with Jesus. And some of us need to get way more particular in our truth, or I should say the truth with Jesus, because we don't determine the truth. It is the truth of Christ. Which is it for you? John 1:14 says, the word cosmic became flesh particular. What do you do? What do you experience in the presence of truth? Church has some really great news for you this morning. Not just good news, great news. And here it is. The God of the universe so loved all of humanity that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come and live in a particular way at a particular time and die in a particular way so that the entire forces of death evil and sin may be wiped away forever so that all of humanity can know the love and the truth and the beauty and the grace of Jesus Christ, but also so that you, 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 specifically, particularly, may know the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. And that is not a story that is made up 
It is the truth of God. It is the truth that is shared with us. When Moses and Peter and James and John, when they came into the presence and the truth of God, do you remember what their response was, what Peter's response was? Lord, it is good. So my prayer for us this morning as we come into this place and as we enter into this space, in a few minutes, you will have a chance to come forward. And when you do, we're going to be really specific and really particular with the bread and the drink. We're going to invite you to look at this picture generally, but see particularly the words of life that God offers to us. And we pray as we do that today that we will experience the truth of God in such a way that together we will say, Lord, it is good to be in your presence today.